Welcome to The Vow, Voice of Women. Our mission has always been about empowering women through the sharing of real-life stories. When women create a community through the journey of sharing, we gain empathy, forgiveness, and perspective. We encourage you to open your heart to receive today's story. that I love about The Vow, well, there's many, but one particular thing is that I get to meet extraordinary women who have amazing stories of um, resilience and compassion and healing. And today I have the honor of chatting with Wendy Baker. Wendy, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Today is a special day because everyone's going to hear Wendy's story. And Wendy, an extraordinary individual whose life started in the heart of the Source family, a Los Angeles-based cult. Her memoir, My Name Was Mushroom, uncovers her teenage runaway experience within this captivating yet challenging community. Wendy's story of breaking free and thriving as a successful entrepreneur and advocate for women is nothing short of inspiring. Join us as she shares her journey from the cult to empowerment, resilience, and a passion for helping others. So Wendy, starting with your early years, what drew you to the Source family and what initially made you feel it was the right fit for you at such a young age? Well, I think that at the age of 14, which is, you know, pretty young, I wasn't really sure what I was doing. All I knew is that when I was at the meditation classes and after meditating that I just felt so good. And my home life was pretty chaotic. Um, It just wasn't a loving environment. And I think I was drawn to the Source family because I was looking for some kind of discipline, love, and something that made me feel good. And, and I feel like that's what the draw was initially. So let's chat about your life before the Source family. It sounds like it was a little bit tumultuous. So can you maybe explain to us from a young girl, kind of, you know, until you were 14, what that home life looked like? Well, there was, I had a single mom and I don't think she ever wanted to have children. And I don't think she you know, was in love with our father, if you could call him that, I feel like she was dealt a situation that she didn't know how to get out of. So she ended up having four little girls from this man who was an alcoholic, and he was abusive. And she basically had to escape him um, to get out of the, the volatile, violent lifestyle that she had. And so from the reason from that is like, I just don't feel like she really knew how to be a mom, wanted to be a mom, or, you know, just had any loving, caring feelings for her children. And, and we could feel it, all four of us. So it was, it, was just not, it was just not a good environment. I was very depressed as a child. I was so unhappy. Um, I just, I hated my life. And I, I just saw my other friends 
having loving parents who came to school, picked them up, made them lunches, you know, tucked them in bed at night, said, I love you, hugged you. None of those things happened in my family at all. So when you found the source family, so how did this kind of, how did you fall upon the source family? Well, it was, (laughs) it's in my book. But it's very strange how it all happened, you know, how things work in mysterious ways. But when I was 12 years old, I was um, roller skating along La Cienica Boulevard, which is a busy street in West Hollywood, California. And I was with my sister. And every Saturday morning, we would stop off at this restaurant and that had a pond and people would throw money into the pond and make a wish. So every Saturday morning, my sister and I would go there and take money out of the pond to go buy candy at the local drugstore. So one morning we went there and there were these two boys that were in our pond, so so we say. And we started a dialogue with them, kind of saying, you know, what are you doing in our pond? This is our money. This is our pond. You don't belong here. Anyways, long story short... We got into a scuffle with them, and they ended up chasing us. And so my sister and I, you know, are roller skating for our lives back home, which was probably like another four or five city blocks long, and they're on foot. And we made it to our apartment building and ran upstairs, and it turns out that that one of the boys was Jim Baker's son. And that was the end of that scenario. But then six months later, I went to a gathering at somebody's house and he was there. And so he remembered me and I remembered who he was. And we actually started a relationship at that time. And our relationship got, you know, pretty intense for a 12 and a half, 13 year old. And we were together and he introduced me to his father at the Source restaurant and his father's name was Jim Baker. So actually, I met Jim Baker in the very, very early stages um, before he started a commune. And that, mm-hmm. that was the beginning of, of how I knew about him. And then from the time that you met Jim, how long after did he start the commune? Probably, let's see, I was 14 uh, when... The, in my late 14 that he started the commune, but it really, it really wasn't a commune quite yet. It really was just like meditation classes and the, and a group of us that went pretty religiously to his meditation classes and all of that. And I don't think he started, we started living together um, till maybe a year after that. And then we, then it became more like a commune. And then when you start out, it's obviously at the infancy, this, we'll just call it a a gathering of people at this point, a commune. How many people are there at that point? And then how quickly did it grow? So I'm going to tell you um, what I remember, and I might not be correct, because I'm going to tell you through the eyes of a 14-year-old. Does that make sense? Of course, yes. Right. So I recollect there being about 40, 50 people that started going to classes. And then I'm going to say that by the time we all moved in together, everybody left their homes that they were living at and moved into the mother house. There was probably about 120. 
120 yeah. people living in, like, was it a mansion? Yes, it was a mansion. Wow. It was and a very, very, it was it? called the Chandler, the Chandler mansion. And it was, I don't know, I can't, it's in my book. I can't, I don't have it memorized, but there's something like 20 bedrooms, a guest house and a huge attic that people were, were also spread out sleeping in the attic. And there's plenty of room for everybody. It was fabulous. So did at that point then from coming from, you know, a tumultuous upbringing with a single mom and no dad, did, was there this real sense of like love and belonging then? And that's what really kind of, you know, why you gravitated towards this? Yeah, I, I'm going to say I gravitated towards the Source Family Commune because of the love and the, the philosophy of, you know, health food, yoga, meditation. It just all felt so good to me. I grew up in the, in the 70s where um, heroin, cocaine, and drugs were just rampant. Mm -hmm. And people were overdosing. And I just, that just wasn't my path. I was looking for a healthy path. And so I just got gravitated towards it because of the whole philosophy of how to live a healthy life. Hmm. So you're 14, 15, you're in a commune. There's lots of people moving into the Chandler house. Explain to us kind of the typical day or routine with this group of people. And did gender roles play out in this environment at all? Well, a typical day would be getting up at 4, 3.30, 4, 4 o'clock a.m. in the morning, um, taking a cold shower or jumping into the pool and doing your morning exercises, and then getting making this incredible coffee that we made. It was like a candy coffee. Setting up your spot in the meditation room, getting ready for um, Jim Baker to show up and lead the class in a morning meditation and Hatha yoga. And these classes were the highlight of my life. They were amazing. Um, I always felt so high and so good afterwards. And then after the morning meditations and the class and all of our exercises, um, Jim Baker, who started off as Jim Baker, then he became Father Yod, then he became Yehoah. So he transformed into these different, you know, personalities, I guess, is the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. And then after that, um, everybody would clean up their spaces, put their stuff away, and everyone had a different direction to go. Some people went to the source restaurant to work. Some people stayed at the house and did cleaning chores. And some people went to school. Some people, you know, everybody had something different to do in the early days. And we just went about our own business and whatever it was, our responsibility was. Now, the gender roles, there was definite, a definite philosophy of how that played out. It was basically the man, you serve your man, and then the man takes care of you. So there was a lot of that going on, which was maybe the opposite of what was happening in the world with feminism and, and all of that, we were, that's definitely not the angle that we went. So we always took care of our man. We called him serving them, meaning we did everything for them. And so in a way, 
looking back at it, we were subservient to them. Mm-hmm. And then in, in return, they were supposed to take care of us and provide for us. Now, this didn't happen throughout the five years this took place, but that was how it began, just like that. And so did the women then, they would primarily do the cooking, the cleaning, and yeah. the men that were in the house would go out and work to basically fund your, we'll call it a lifestyle, at the house. That's correct. Exactly okay. that. And was there, like you were very young, so were you with uh, Jim Baker's son from the very beginning then? No, um, his son did not join the Source family. So I, I, I ended my relationship with him. And then shortly thereafter, I joined the Source family. Um, and then I, did not, I no longer had a relationship with him. I actually ended up having um, a romance and a relationship with someone in the Source family. And his, na- his given name in the family was Starman. Hmm. And we were actually together the entire time I was there until the very end. And how many years was that? Five years, close Five to six years. years. Mm. And were, can you say, I mean, obviously you're an adult now and you're, you know, in a happy relationship, but like looking back, would you say that you were in love or was it just the environment that, you know, you felt compelled to be, you know, in that situation? I think I really did love him. Um, he was a really good guy. Um, I had a really good time with him. I think I really started off that way. Mm-hmm. Um, the, that love didn't sustain throughout. So it, it's possible that that's what a crush is. I don't know because, you know, that's just a matter of opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like I really was in love with him. Whatever love was at that time for us. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When you're living under the leadership of someone that is essentially revered as like a godlike figure, mm-hmm. I can only imagine how complicated that can be. <laughs> yeah. What was the turning point for you when you began questioning the teachings or authority within the group? Well, I never questioned it until maybe th- four years later. I always really felt you know, I really admired Jim Baker and I looked up to him and I, I just never questioned anything. But then there was an incident that's in my book, um, that happened when we ended up in San Francisco and we were in San Francisco and for about 40 days in San Francisco, we were homeless. We had no place to live. So we didn't stay at that Chandler mansion the whole time. That was my happiest times, but we moved around. So we all ended up in San Francisco and Yehoah, his name was Yehoah at the time. He approached me to be one of his women and to have sex with him. And that's when I questioned, you know, what am I doing here and why, you know, what's going on here? Because I did not feel that same way. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a fascinating story in my book about that. Um, You know, I I guess you haven't read it yet, but when you read it, it's pretty intense um, what happened in San Francisco. And also being homeless, like 
you know, I had a, a baby at the time. She was one and we had nowhere to live and we're on the streets and wow. we're living, you know, we're, we're going from church to church and every so often we'd go to a house. And I mean, can you imagine like 150 people, you know, dressed like we dressed with ba babies and children everywhere and just kind of wandering the streets, you know, while some of our elders are trying to find a place for us to live. They eventually did find a place for us to live, but it took about 40 days. Wow. It was, it, that was a very trying time for me. And that's when I started questioning, you know, what, what was I doing hmm. at that point? I can't imagine having a one-year-old and living on the street for 40 days. Yeah. Wow. It was, it was the most intense time of my life. It sure made me strong. Now, I wasn't alone, of course. I had, you know, all my brothers and sisters, we were all in the same place, you know, being there for each other. But still, the fact is, we were, you know, homeless. Mm -hmm. And do you think that Jim, now as the cult grew from, you know, 40 to 50 to 120, was that kind of his end goal? Was that, you know, because, you know, I, I only know what I hear about from all the documentaries. And I've read a couple books on on cults, not the Source family specifically. But it's always about, you know, control, power. Oftentimes it's about sex. Um, and so was that kind of all wrapped up into what his end game was? Or, you know, like, I'm just trying to envision what what his what his end game was, I guess. Well, I, I mean, subconsciously, that's exactly what happened. I don't know if he really did that on purpose. I always, I felt he was a good person. Um, definitely, there was brainwashing. I mean, we, we were sleep deprived. Um, we didn't get enough sleep. There was a, a, a no privacy issue. Um, there was definitely a sex um, aspect to the Source family. People were freely having sex. Um, you didn't have to, though. There was not a power struggle. It wasn't like you have to do this, you have to do that. But there was that that energy going around, and we were. And towards the middle end of the commune, we were hungry too. Mm -hmm. So when you're sleep deprived, you know you're you're hungry. And you're not sure what's going to happen next. It kind of keeps you in a state of, I don't know what the best word, but like a, a state of, of non, um, a state of not really being aware and not being secure. Mm -hmm. So there definitely was that element, but we were not, there was, we were never forced to do anything. That's for sure. Okay. So you're on the street for 40 days. You have a one-year-old. You eventually find refuge. What was the next, I guess, chapter in your life? Or what was, was that the catalyst or the final straw that pushed you to make the decision to leave? Or what happened after that 40 days? So that didn't make the decision for me to leave. That just started my thought process of questioning, you know, what I was doing. Now, because I ran away from home... And because the authorities were looking for me the whole time I was in the source family, um, I had a private investigator looking for me, a private detective. So I really couldn't even think about ever leaving the source family. 
because I could, I would pro- most likely be arrested and in big trouble. Hmm. Because if you read the, when you read the book, there's a whole section in there about what happened to me. But I did become a ward of the court, and um, I, I was able to escape that. So I don't want to give it all away, but yeah, no, I'm gonna and I'm gonna read the book. So yeah, so it's just that you, there right? was a. I really wasn't. I didn't have the freedom to be able to just walk up and leave the Source family. I really had to stay committed at least until I was eighteen. Hmm. So and so you I, stayed I, till you were eighteen. I stayed till I was nineteen. Hmm. So and by that time, your daughter was five. No, no, no. She was. Um, Two. Two. Okay. All right. So you stay till you're 19. You decide you're, you're going to leave. So what was that like transitioning back into society as a single teen mom after leaving a cult? And like, yeah, what did, what did that look like? Oh, that was very difficult. I mean, I was like in shock. Um, I was, I went through so much emotionally in my head. Um, because I really didn't leave completely. I still felt that I needed to be part of um, our philosophy. Uh, Basically, we were not supposed to cut our hair anywhere. And certainly no makeup, no hair dye. And we we slept on the floor. Um, I slept on the floor for five years, you know, with a mat, but basically, you know, on the floor. And only ate vegetarian food and absolutely no sugar. And there was, you know, I never had a driver's license. I didn't have a driver's license. You know, I didn't know how to take care of myself, really. I didn't know how to cook. Um, yeah, it was, it was a complete shock to leave that, you know, wonderful, warm environment and go out into the world where it was fast-paced and everyone's cutting their hair and everybody eats everything and sugar is no big deal. And I, it took me years to transition out of that. Wow. It's almost like coming out of jail for, you know, yes. five, 10 years. You needed yeah. beef, a starburst and a razor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't cut my hair for years. My hair was so long. And I mean, even under my arms, like I didn't cut it, you know, nothing. Wow. Yeah. You were like, you were oh natural. Yeah. <laughs> and no makeup. And I remember seeing my sister and, you know, when I came back, when I left the Source family, she goes, let me pluck your eyebrows. I go, what? You are crazy. No way are you doing that. But, you know, like I was just so living in the in the, in another century, in another world, you know, mm-hmm. it took me forever to be okay with cutting my hair and wearing makeup and eating what I wanted, eating what I wanted. That was a very difficult transition for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Yeah. Listening to you, I, I, it, it reminds me of someone that's been in prison for 10 years or 20 and they yeah, come out and so. it's like, what's this world? Like, what's this, you know, how do you use a cell phone? And, you know, well, there were no cell phones yet. When yeah, I came yeah, out. yeah. No, just generally. However, yeah. we did not read the paper. We did not watch movies. We never watched TV. 
I didn't know anything that was going on in the world at all. And when I came out and I learned about Watergate, I was just like, whoa, what happened? Like, I didn't know. I had no current news and I did not know anything of what was going on in our world at all. It was like I was in the jungle. Mm. So what fueled your determination to build a different life for yourself and your child? Well, I, for me, I think I just grew up. I was like, mm-hmm. I was turning 19. I had this child. Um, I definitely made a vow to myself, <laughs> a vow <laughs> mm-hmm. to myself to be a good mother and to raise my child with lots of love and in a, in a, just a wonderful environment. So I started to think, okay, what can I do? So I decided to go back to school, wow, get an, get an education, um, better myself and get into a career that I could make money and provide and take care of my daughter. Cause at that point when I left, I also left Starman. So that was another transition for me, being with him for five years. And then I literally just kind of, I left him. And did he want, like, because that that is, he, Starman was the father of your daughter. Correct. And so did he kind of just say, you know, go with the world, my dear, you know, this has been great. You know, was there this... <laughs> Like, I mean, he's had a daughter, so how did that transition work? Well, it would have been nice if he said anything, but he said nothing. And basically in the middle of the night, um, he, would, he wouldn't have let me go. So I, I had to kind of escape him. Hmm. And so I basically in the middle of the night, I, I had another guy friend in the Source family, another brother named Sir Knight, who helped me escape uh, from being with him. And picked wow. me up, and that's also another story in the book that's so freaking crazy. But um, I just just got up and left because he would never let me out of his sight, and he would he wouldn't let me be with anybody else. He was very very possessive of me, mm. and and I was I was feeling suffocated, and I didn't want to be with him anymore, and I couldn't stand to be with him another day. So I made that decision. I wanted to just be friends with him, raise our child together, and have him let me go and do what it is that I need to do in the world. And But he wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. So I had to escape. And you did. And I did. And it was the smartest thing I ever did. And did he ever try to find you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he found me. Mm-hmm. And... You know, he tried to get back together with me, but, you know, I wasn't going to do it. And then when I met Bart Baker, who was Jim Baker's, you know, biological son, and we started a relationship together, he got really um, jealous and uptight and started being very irresponsible, being a father to our daughter. So it just got worse and worse. And that's that's a whole nother story. I didn't even write about that because it just, I don't know. Anyway, Starman has since passed away. Oh, okay. So he, he was seven years older than me and he passed away a couple months ago. Mm. Um, 
he died of stage four lung cancer, but we, we did not remain friends mm -hmm. at all. He, he was not a responsible parent at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my husband okay. actually so adopted you... Stardust and Stardust oh, was the really? name of my child. Ah, uh, so you're, so Bart adopted Stardust. Correct. So how did you meet Bart Baker? <laughs> <laughs> so Bart Baker, also known as the Heartbreaker. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. He, in his day, that he was a little womanizer <laughs> Oh my! in his goodness. early days. But how I met him, um, I left the Source family. I'm going to school. I'm going to college. My daughter was staying with a friend in Washington for a month while I was doing finals. And I walked into, I went on a date with somebody, one of the Source family members named Pythias. And he said, you know, can I take you out to dinner? Let's get together. And I'm like, sure. So he picks me up. He goes, where do you want to go? And I'm like, I would like to go to the Aware Inn. So the Aware Inn was a gourmet healthy restaurant on Sunset Boulevard in the heart of the Sunset Strip. And it was owned by Jim Baker and his wife, Elaine Baker, who is my husband's mom. But he gave the restaurant to Elaine Baker when they got a divorce. So she still had the restaurant. Mm. And so when we walked into the front door, uh, Bart Baker was a host and he was working there. I guess you'd call it a mater d' at the is what he would say. And I saw him and he saw me and I'm not kidding you. And I, this is such an outrageous story, but my knees gave way. I Literally. just, yeah, I completely fell apart. And I'm thinking, what is going on with me? Because, you know, I'm, I'm 19. I just got out of a, a intense communal experience. I have a child from another man. I'm focused on going to school and I see this guy and my knees give out on me and I, I'm like flustered and I don't even know what to do. Anyways, that was the beginning of our relationship. Oh, and how many years have you and Bart been together? Well, we've been together for 47 and we've been married for 45. Wow. And do you have children together? Yes, we have two. Two. And how old are they now? Um, the youngest is 38, and yeah. my daughter, Amber, is 45. And so are you grandparents? I'm grandparents of four beautiful grandsons. Oh, four grandsons. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So talk to me about navigating <laughs> through the healing from the emotional and psychological impact of being part of a source family. Cause like you had mentioned, you were brainwashed. And so it took years of brainwashing. How do you, how do you heal from that? How do you go back to find yourself and, and create this normal environment for you and Stardust? Well, it, it was, it wasn't quick by any means. It was a process. And I kind of, think I always kept inside of me the teachings that I was taught, the good ones. I just, I think, I still feel like I have a lot of it inside of me even today. Um, I don't know. It feels like when I was in the source commune, it was like a high school boot camp <laughs> or it was like my high school. 
So you know, like what, what you went through in high school, you kind of carry with you your whole life. hundred percent. And th- that's what, what I did. I carried it with me my whole life. I still have relationships with people that from the source family, two of my closest friends were source family members um, close to my age that went through the whole experience with me. Wow. Those and are your besties. Like, yeah. They're my besties. Like oh. I can't, they're one of them was the astrologer in the family and then heaven or her name's Nancy. Now she was the one in the documentary having the baby. Wow. Did you see the documentary? Yes. Yes, I did. Nancy. Remember the young girl having her baby? Yes, that was that, Nancy. That's, that's heaven. Nancy. She's my best friend. And she's your bestie. Yeah. And and we grew up together in the same neighborhood. Wow. <laughs> so we, we, we both joined the family at the same time. And my sister, one of my sisters also joined the Source family. Wow. So I had some really close people in my life that we went through that experience together, which is kind of cool because today we could reminisce and talk about what we've learned and, you know, just it's someone that I could relate to that has been through something so outrageous mm-hmm. with me. Wow. I'm just, yeah, I'm, I mean, I, it's like, that's, that's very, uh, you know, deep roots to go through that with someone and come out the other end and be so close. Cause I would imagine for some, that it's so much trauma that they would just want to leave it behind them, but you bonded over that experience. Right. Right. So it's cool. It's really cool. So talk to me and I'm super curious about your current, sp- like spirituality, religious beliefs, because Again, and I'm naive maybe, but after coming out of something like that, I would say that there's probably two paths. You either go like atheist or agnostic, or you find, you know, God in in, in a religion or spirituality. So what was that like when you left? Did you keep an aspect of your spirituality? Did you just say, this is enough? I don't believe in anything. And what does that look like in your life today? Well, when I, I kept my spirituality for a long time, I believe I still do, still am. I don't want to be a part of one sect religion ever again. I don't want to think one way. I'd like to be open to all religions. I feel like there's good in all of them. And I just don't, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to go to temple. I want, I want to just, you know, my family is my religion. Mm-hmm. is how I how I've handled it. I just don't want to be caught up in a specific way. Mhm. Oh, that's fair. I can Yeah, I can only imagine. I think it's it's I, the analogy that I would give are you know, kids that grow up in environments where their parents are, you know, drug users or substance abuse u- users and oftentimes they'll either follow in their footsteps or it's so much trauma and they see how, how it negatively impacted them that they completely never touch anything again. And so I was curious to, you know, to, yeah, to, to hear the answer to that. And so are, does your family, are, are they kind of all the same mindset? Like you carry the spirituality around you, but you don't have a religion that you practice. Yeah. I would say my kid, yeah, my husband and my children, definitely. I feel they think the same way that I do. 
um, nobody wants to be one specific religion. So I must have had that influence on them because mm -hmm. that's the way they are raising their children and conducting their lives right now. Mm -hmm. So I just, I just want to be open to all things. I don't, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? I, that's just how I feel. Yeah, I do believe in be God. Labeled. I you believe in be God. Yeah, I don't want to be labeled. I mean, yeah. I grew up, you know, very Jewish in a very Jewish family. Um, I just don't want to be that way. I don't mm -hmm. want to have to marry a Jewish man or have to get married in a church. I just don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's very fair and understandable. Mm -hmm. So reflecting on that part of your life, what advice would you give to someone who might be in a similar situation? They're feeling trapped or coerced within a group or a community. It may not even be a cult, but they're, right. they're feeling that, you know, that um, almost like they're a possession to somebody or something. Well, I think that eventually I just became true to myself and decided to stand up for myself and do what I felt was right for me, uh, regardless of, you know, what the situation was going on. I think, I honestly think that I probably would have stayed in the Source family if Jim Baker stayed alive, mm -hmm. because that's how much I loved it. But because he passed away and the family just kind of started disintegrating, it gave me the freedom and the strength to do, to get out of it and to, to grow up and, and be my own person. Mm -hmm. So what would I say to other women? I would say just, you know, go within and always listen to your higher self and follow your higher self mm -hmm. and, and do what's right at all times. In your book, in your memoir, my name was mushroom it delves into your experiences what was the most emotional or challenging part of writing about your time in the cult hmm. Even, every single chapter was so hard <laughs> i was so emotional it was so difficult um but the most difficult were probably is when I was taken to court while I was in the source family and the court system took me away from the source family and my mom and put me in juvenile hall. Hmm. That was, that was the most traumatic thing I'd ever experienced. Cause you felt alone. Well, <laughs> because I was put in jail pretty much because I ran away from home. Mm -hmm. I mean, what a stupid reason to put a child in jail, you know? Yeah. Wow. But and what year was that? Um, let's see. Book is right here. You find out that was close, close to, um, joining 1972. 1972. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. I take it back. Um, yeah, I think it was 1972. Mm. Yeah, the 70s. I mean, I wasn't born then, but 
Yeah. But I've heard a lot about the 70s. I mean, it was crazy. It sounds like it was crazy. Well, you missed out. You know, I re- like in the documentary, I mean, it, it's like you guys were like the, you know, it just, yeah, it dramatized or was a depiction of, you know, the Sunset Strip and communal living <laughs> and this higher, you know, like living. I don't know. It was just very, I think it is the epitome of how I pictured the 70s on Sunset Strip. <laughs> it was it was like it was so cool, you know, and and so much of what we did was so unexpe- unaccepted then, like health foods, vegetarian, uh Yeah, you were ahead yoga. of the times. Exactly. Like today, yeah, that's just what everybody's doing. It's no big yeah. deal at all. So, yeah, we were so ahead of our time. You yeah. it was just yeah crazy so we were oddballs you know yeah and today you you, you yeah. wouldn't be that way yeah yeah wow yeah uh, yeah and I I mean I watching the documentary too with all of the outfits and I mean it was just the <laughs> 1970s it was like yeah it, it took me back to a time that I've obviously never experienced but it is it like outside of you know things getting sexual and and Father Yod having like multiple wives. I don't even know how many he had, like 13, 15, 16. I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, like it was really the cult before it really became cultish was just this like a bunch of friends hanging out, having fun. Right, right. That's what it is. And, and the wives doing. were like, the he, he had one wife. He was oh, legally married. He had oh. one wife that he was legally married to. Okay. And, but then the, he added on these others and then they changed. And, you know, a lot of those women that he added on had a part to play right. in what his needs were. Right. You know? yeah. Like some made him food, some did his massages, some did laundry, some did, you know what I mean? It wasn't like really, to me, in my opinion, what I observed, it wasn't really like a love relationship. No, it was servitude. Yes, it was servitude. Yeah. Those women served him and took care of him. Mm-hmm. They didn't really have a one-on-one romantic, you know, loving relationship. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, to me, it was not, it wasn't anything, anything good. Mm-hmm. And most so, of them would probably say that today. Although yeah. there's a few that are hanging on that they, that he was the love of their life. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, that's, in their mind and that's how they probably viewed it. Yep. That's, that's exactly right. Their experience. Yeah. So since then you have achieved tremendous success. I even saw you on the front of a Malibu magazine, you and Bart. Oh, you did. (laughs) I did. Well, just, you know, doing a little bit of research. Um, So, yeah. So how did the lessons from your past, both positive and negative, influence your approach to building your business and giving back to the community? Because I sense that you and Bart are very philanthropic. You have a thriving insurance business. So talk to us about that. Well, I mean, I think, I just think that um, I was born to be an entrepreneur. And I think that whatever I chose to do, I was going to give it my fullest and never give up and pursue it no matter what. And that's basically how I focused on our insurance agency. And the two of us together, 
you know, we, we were on the same path and we were both like that. You know, we just ran a very um, integrity, uh, responsible, committed business in our local community. And we always chose to do the right what's right. And it, that's not easy to come by. And I think we've been very successful because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think you need education. I don't think you need um, to go to college and get a master's or a PhD, you know, to be successful. It's, it's a um, characteristic. It's a choice. And I feel that my husband and I, we both, both of us have not graduated college, but we have lots of life experience and we've, we've learned a lot of valuable lessons. We've made a lot of mistakes and we've learned from them and that we were able to create, um, you know, a strong ethical business. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm a university dropout. And I have a successful business. Oh, good for you. Completely 100% behind you in that. And, you know, I I was just chatting with a a friend of mine the other day, and her daughter has like a 97% in high school. And she said, in a lot of Canadian, the top universities, 90% doesn't cut it anymore. You know, if you want to get into the top universities in Canada, you need a 95, she said, was it 95 or 96% or greater? And I just thought that's like, what is that? You know, 1% of the population, these kids. And I, I even thought about my own daughters. I mean, they're little, they're seven and 10, but I thought, what are the chances of them getting grades like that to get into a top post-secondary university? It's really sad. And I agree with you. I mean, I started my real estate business when I was 20, I'm 43, and I dropped out of university in the third year. And I don't even, like, I don't remember what I learned in trigonometry and nor do I need to. Right. (laughs) Like, I think going to college, you should only go if you have to have that degree to achieve what it is that you want to achieve. Yeah. Like, if you want to be a lawyer, you're going to have to go. That's right. You know, but like, to be honest, I love education. And I loved going to school. I, it just wasn't going to work out for me because I had a child. I had to make money. And then I had two more. And it just, I kept trying and it just wasn't going to work out. But in saying that, how I'm very contradicting because I made all three of my children <laughs> of go you to did. university and get their degree, whether they liked it or not. Yeah, of course. course. And I'd probably say the same thing to my kids. We just want the best for our kids. And I guess that's just, you know, yeah. Well, you don't need it. You don't don't need it to be successful because I know a lot of people that have the highest degrees and they... They can't even make minimum wage. (laughs) Yeah. Or they don't love love what they do. Mm -hmm. You know, there's that that too. Right. I'm curious. I'm super curious. I've been meaning to ask this, you know, for a little while. Stardust grew up very differently than your other two children. So how are they different? Like if, if you look at them today, and I'm not talking success financially, but like, how are their, how did they, like, how are their successes in life, like with relationships and, and maybe their relationship with money or with other people? Like, do you notice a major difference because their upbringing was so different? Well, because Stardust was only in the Source family for the first two, 
two years of her life. Um, I don't think it really affected her very much. Uh, she grew up a very normal child. Um, she's she's just amazing. She mm-hmm. she's very social, very outgoing, very loving, and you know she's she's blown away sometimes that she grew that that's how she was born because she basically was born in a house in Maui, you know, natural childbirth. (laughs) And so, and her name's Stardust and she goes by her middle name, which is Jamie, which is the name that we gave her when she was five. Um, She's, there's no difference. She's just like a normal person. Today she's 49. Yeah. She has two boys. Um, One of them is autistic. The other one's on the spectrum. They're twins. And she's a teacher. Wow. Yeah. And she's, uh, she's actually just a very humbled, giving, loving human being in, Mm -hmm. in every way. Just the sweetest thing ever. And then the other two kids, you know, grew up, they all grew up together. So they, they, identify each other as brother and sister all the way. There's no, um, you know, feeling of like step or anything like that. Uh, Yeah, they just see each other as siblings. And was Bart, I'm switching gears again. Okay. Was was Bart a part of your therapy because you met him kind of shortly after and fell in love, sounds like very deeply. And Mm -hmm. so was he kind of a part of your therapy in a way? He was my therapy. <laughs> he was everything. He's the one that helped me through so much stuff. And I could talk to him about it because it was his dad. And so he knew everything that what I had been through. He totally understood and related. And so, I, I mean, basically just talking it through and talking to him about it is how I got through the transition. He's just, he's amazing in every way. Oh, I love that. And you guys have yeah. been married for 45 years? Yes, we've been married 45 years. It doesn't even feel like it. <laughs> and I, you know, here I thought I could never be married ever. And what happens as soon as I leave the family? I find somebody and I get married. I, you know, what are you going to do? Well, and it's Jim Baker's son. Like that's kind of a crazy, Yeah. the fact that he never joined, you know, the source family and was just sounds like this, you know, led a more normal lifestyle. And you happen to run into him in your knees buckle and 45 years <laughs> later. Like, I mean, that's kind of crazy. I get it. If you meet a guy that is not a part of a cult and you fall in love, but the fact that it's, Jim Baker's son is, I, know. I mean, that's, if that's not divine intervention or someone with a sense of humor. I don't know. Right, right. I, you know, it, it's baffling to me too. And at first when I met him, I'm like, oh, you know, I cannot have you in my life. Yeah, yeah, totally. like, I, this, this is not happening. Like, seriously, I tried everything, but no matter what I tried, I just kept getting drawn to him. It just was crazy. Yeah. And, and his support in writing this story, he's the one that said, you have to write this story. It is incredible. There's so many lessons and so much to learn from this story for people and to help mm-hmm. young moms that 
have a child at 16, 17 years old and are told they're never going to make it and that that's it. Their life's ruined. They had a baby. It's that's not true. Not true at all. You can make it. Yeah, because your book, you know, it sounds like it's not just about escaping a cult. It, it you know, it it can help someone young that has it has had a child young kind of get through that because I'm I'm assuming you know and, and chatting with you today how alone that you felt and um like you probably didn't have a future you probably felt that way for a while I mean I just can't imagine being so um sheltered from the normalcy or what we call the normalcy of how we live in society and having to reintegrate with a baby and being alone like that's um let alone yeah. being in a cult, <laughs> you know. Well, just- you know, I was told by everybody when I left the Source family, you know, pretty much, you know, how could you have a child at 16? I w- or let's say 17, because I almost was 17. You know, like, your life's ruined. Like, w- what are you going to do now? Mm-hmm. And I just thought, you know what? I'm going to do it. You watch. You know, like, don't tell me that my life is over because of this. I had this child willingly knowingly and lovingly. So there, I'm going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And I've met many people throughout my life that have had babies this age, or they've been the recipient, their mother was this age. And how incredibly wonderful it is to talk with them that, you know, you're, you can, you're going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Looking back on your life, what do you consider the most valuable lesson or insight that you gained from your time in the Source family? Well, there's a couple of things. Um, don't get attached to material things. Stay, always look at the positive. Always complete every project that you start. What else? And believe in yourself. Mm. I mean, there's even more than that. One thing that that Yehoah used to always say that has stuck with me and helped me get through so much was change is the only constant thing in the universe. Change is the only thing in the universe. That's and change is the only thing constant in the in universe. In the universe. Yeah. That's in other true. words, don't get too comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very true. Yep. Yeah. And it, it has helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. So what words of encouragement would you share with women who might be facing adversity or struggling to find their voice because you went from not having any voice to, you know, going back to school, meeting Bart, growing a successful business, giving back to your community. And that's like, I can't imagine how difficult that, that that was for you. So what, what can you share with our listeners that might encourage them? Just go for it. Just don't give up, you know, do what it is that you, that you know is right. And, and don't just talk about it. Don't just think about it, but actually just do it. Mm-hmm. And that that's, that's what I did. I've always listened to my higher self and I, and I'm a woman of action not of just talk. I'm a woman of action. I like that. 
Now, you mentioned earlier um, something that you had vowed to yourself at a, at a young age, and that was to be a good mother yes. and to raise your child with lots of love. Correct. And you've done that. And so what would your vow be today? My vow today would be the same. You know, to love your children, they are, you know, you are their advocates and, you know, become your child's advocate and at all times. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know, my children are everything to me. You know, they're just, um, that. W- this has been the best job. I call it a job because it's like a job. <laughs> Being a mother and having children and, you know, just you know, focus on that. Don't keep trying to run away from it. You know, just be it, be the, be that great mom. Mm. And just, you know, I've had to, believe it or not, I've had to take classes on it at early, in my early stages of being a mother, because I really didn't have a strong influence of what, what, what do you do to be a good mom? So I took these classes for years and I learned a lot so I actually studied it, and and I believe that's important. Be mm, yeah, open to learning. Because you didn't have that that mother figure growing up, is that right? I did not have a role model at all. Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine it would be like if you didn't have a role model. Yeah, how would you know? I wouldn't have known what to do if I didn't have a, a mother that guided me along every age, every year, and taught me. You know. Well, I didn't. I didn't know what to do. So I didn't have that. So I went out and sought it and learned it. But, you know, in saying all of that, the wonderful, beautiful thing is that I made amends with my mom. I forgave her and she forgave me for running away. And we did become the best of friends in my adult life. And she was my biggest fan and she was a she was a good mother as an adult just not as a child and you know i yeah. never talked to her about the source family it was too painful for her wow so but we did make amends and we and we became very very close now was she able to read your book before no. she passed no no, I wrote it after she passed away. Okay. I, I just didn't want her, I didn't, I just felt like it would be too painful for her. Yeah. So no, she never, she never read the book. She didn't even know I was going to write a book. Well, what a beautiful ending that you were able to, to make peace with each other and have a relationship with her later in life. I mean, I'm yes. sure that's, you know, been, was very rewarding for you and for her. Yeah, so from the age of like 22 till she passed away, which was five years ago, four or five years ago, we were the best of friends. So, you know, it wasn't, she wasn't terrible forever. It was just as a child. Yeah, yeah. And you probably gave, you know, um, you forgave her, which gave permission for her to forgive herself. Correct. That's correct. Yeah. Beautiful. 
Well, Wendy, oh, and I'm gonna get your book tonight because oh, I'm so I'm so excited. Can we? Where can we find My Name Was Mushroom? Is it on Amazon? Is it on iBooks? It's on Amazon. I don't know if it's on iBooks, but it's on audio, or you could get it on Kindle, or you could get the actual book. If you get the actual book, it has a lot of photos in it. Okay. But and and on the audio, I narrated it. Okay. So I'm telling the story. So that's kind of cool. Well, I think I'll do the, the, the audio. But, yeah. Um, yeah. You'll probably get it quicker that way, I think. Well, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I'll start yeah. it tonight and I'll, I'll send you a note when I'm done it. <laughs> yeah. And I'd order the book just so that you have it, you know, for the photos and stuff. Okay. There's All some right. really cool photos in there, but yeah, that's how you would get it. And I don't know if it's in any bookstores in Canada, but it's that's in bookstores okay. all over the United States. Yeah, that's all right. That's the beautiful thing about online. You can get it anywhere. I don't have to, you know, order it from the U.S. Yeah, but we'll spread um, the word. I would love people to read it. Oh my and... gosh, absolutely. We'll we'll make sure that um, yeah that. And there there is someone that's trying to make a movie out of it too. Okay. But we'll see. I you know, it's slow slow and coming. But I have a director and a writer, and they're trying to pitch it as making it a Netflix movie. Wow. Well, so we'll be, see. Uh, I'm yeah. all for a good documentary or a good biography. A lot of the books that I'm reading are, I'm really into biographies. That's, I really only read nonfiction. It's the only thing that interests me. So yeah, yeah I'm the same way. Yeah. Well, Wendy, we always like to spotlight a charity of choice. Is there a charity that you would like to share with our listeners today? Yes. My favorite charity is called the Women's Lighthouse, the Women and Children's Lighthouse Shelter. It's in Ventura, and they they have five or six different houses, and they help women that have either been abused or addicted, and they have children, and they give them a place to live, and they it's religious-based, um, but it's a really good organization, and they, they only survive by the community. They don't get government handouts, and mm -hmm. it's just a beautiful organization. It's my favorite. And that's Women and Children's Lighthouse Shelter. Correct. All right. Inventura. Inventura. Well, okay. Yeah. Well, Wendy, thank you so much for being our guest today and taking your time um, out of your schedule. I'm really excited to release your podcast um, and, and let our listeners hear about your empowering and uplifting story. I'd encourage our listeners to... Um, find your book. My name was Mushroom. The documentary is very interesting. Um, and uh, yeah, it definitely took me back to the 70s. And like I said, I wasn't born there, but it was everything that I had envisioned it that it would be. <laughs> well, it was very nice talking to you as well. Yeah. I appreciate Wendy. you inviting me and hopefully um, I helped one person. That would be great. Um, I'm sure you will. And um, I will connect with you once I finish the book. So okay, I'll, uh, yeah, just so you can know that I, I've finished it and I'm excited to read it. Oh, I hope so. I hope to hear from you again. Thank you. Thanks, Wendy. Okay. Take care. You too. Thank you for listening to The Vow, Voice of Women. We hope that this episode has inspired you. If you want more information on The Vow, visit our website at voiceofwomen.ca. 
If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us spread the stories.